Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. We have the original gang here. Uh, I've got Marilyn. Hey, gang. How's it going? Marilyn, who do you work for? <laughs> oh, hey, I'm Marilyn Chicota, and you can find everything about me on mcc.coach. I work for me. No, actually, I work for all my athletes. I have like a bunch of little bosses. <laughs> Oh, I and should introduce myself, shouldn't I? I'm go for Elliot it. Bassett. I'm with Mountain Endurance. Uh, I also work for a bunch of athletes, but most of them are bigger than me because I am not a large human. Um, Jesse. Uh, sorry, I should have fully introduced myself. My name is Jesse Vondracek, and I am head coach at Top Step Training, um, where I stand on the top step, so I look very tall, even though I'm not. Um. Yeah, for those listening, I may be little, but I'm the tallest of the three of us by about <laughs> what two millimeters over Jesse. It depends who's who's shaved their head shorter. If I floof just, my hair, you're both just a teeny bit taller than me. Fair I enough. like this. I like this crowd. Fair this enough. is not a crowd I get to hang out in where I'm. I have bigger arms than you, though. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> um, all right, today we are going to talk about getting us on, getting us on point here. Um, the art of the taper. Uh, some races just happened. More races are happening. People are starting to try and figure out when the right time to taper is and how that taper should look and kind of evaluating maybe if they did that right for races like Oceanside that just happened. So before we get into like the nuts and the bolts of how you structure a taper and why you structure a taper that way, we want to make sure that we're starting out with like a broadband Hey, what is the point of tapering? Like, why are we doing this? And Elliot was really excited about the the why behind the taper. So I'm going to give it to him so he can kind of define what Elliot, what are the goals of the taper? I think the goals of the taper are to show up on race day uh, healthy and prepared. Your body is in a position to push really hard for whatever distance the race is. Um, so if you're, if your body is healthy, you have no injuries, you have no sicknesses and you have enough freshness where you can dig deep and in theory, get the most out of your capabilities. So I think like that's the bottom line and anything you add on to that is, is extra. Like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's just, are you fresh? Can you push hard? And can, if you can get a hundred percent of your abilities out on that day, then that's all you need. I want to add to that just a little bit because you, you talked a lot about the body, which is obviously the thing that needs to perform, but your mind also needs to be like pretty fresh and ready to go. And sometimes, you know, well, that was, on, that was implied Jesse. Well, my mind does not take an implied taper. My mind probably needs more rest than my body to get ready. So, uh, yeah, that that's the, so pushing deep to me, it's, is your body physically capable? Like, uh, as far as physiology and, and also are you mentally in a place where you're ready to go? So that, that is a very good definition. And, uh, I should have included that. No, you just did. It was good. Good job. All right. <laughs> Marilyn, do you have anything to add to that, that goal of the taper? No, I think, you know, that's a really good description of it. And people can use a lot of metrics out there to see if they're in good range. You know, we've got that great systems like training peaks where people can track, even though it might not track absolutely everything, you got to be pretty diligent about downloading every little thing, but you know, you're hoping that that point where fitness is at its highest, and then 
you'll see as you start to taper that fitness start to come down just a hair, but it stays in very, very good range for what your goal of the race is. But that freshness factor comes way up, right? So your glycogen stores are coming up. That freshness factor has come up. You're mentally excited and ready to race. You're probably nervous, all of those things. So, you know, that would be the things I would add is that for people who are inexperienced and it just is, they're like, well, I don't have the experience to rely solely on my own cues and thoughts. If you log your training, you're hoping that you're hoping to see those types of things take shape. And, and it can become really obvious if you're really diligent about downloading all of your data and, and even just making training peaks notes, you can sort of see it come together. Mar Marilyn said it twice. I'm going to say it a third time. If you're not downloading and it's not properly recording all of your workouts, uh, your scores won't make sense. If you do, um, I don't personally think it's a perfect algorithm, but it is shockingly pretty accurate. And if you like look at it and, and you track that for some people who do record everything, you're like, oh, this is actually a pretty good generalization. And, and that would be a place to have kind of like a, a ballpark start. And then as you pay more and more attention to stuff like that, you can weed it out and figure out for yourself um, how those numbers stack up and, and like, are they, do they read a little high or a little low for you personally? Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think it is really important to have something like that, that you can look at. And, and like you guys said, it is not a perfect metric, but it is a great starting point. And you can kind of look back at what you've done historically before races and kind of use that as, as a good gauge for maybe what good numbers are for you to be at. Um, and, and that being said, if you're looking at like the interweb for some guidelines for this, you might see some kind of like standard standardized versions of what a taper might look like and where that might get you like score wise on training peaks and, and how that might look. And I think one of the, the big problems with that is it doesn't take into account the entire history that you have going into the event. So I think your buildup leading into the event is, is going to be as important at like to define how you're going to taper as what those numbers end up looking like. Um, when you say build up, you literally mean your athletic history as a human being. Not, yeah. I mean, you, you mean like the previous eight weeks, the previous eight months and the previous eight years, because that all kind of plays into to how you treat that. Is that a fair statement? Extremely. Okay. Yeah. And that's where, um, you know, that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation because it can be, although that that's a good starting point for beginners, I absolutely know without a doubt that every athlete's, you know, ability to show up at a, a race and be actually ready to go fast doesn't necessarily always fall in line with what those numbers look like. Cause I've seen so many athletes where if you looked at that, and especially a lot of these gauges out there that, I mean, how many people race, wake up on race morning and they're like whoop or whatever tells them that they need to rest or, or they need to go, you know, and it's like, that can really mess with an athlete's head. So the reason I pointed that out, it's like the, yes, that gives you some idea of the point of a taper is that you show up at your best possible fitness before that fitness starts to drop down and your most freshness. And that learning that can help you having that visual and, you know, can help you if you're new to it. However, the absolute goal, which was the first question is that that crisscross in the middle, that point 
is your, is your goal as an athlete showing up on a race day is like, am I mentally fresh? Am I physically fresh enough to perform for you as the athlete with the history that you have? And that, that ideal freshness is different based on those parameters that you're talking about, Jesse, like everybody's how fresh they need to be to perform and the distance of race and their experience and all that is different. Um, and then, but absolutely making the most out of the fitness that they have. Again, really, really important that each athlete's fitness is taken into account because someone who has X training hours or history or plans, fitness looks very different than, you know, Y's training hours and plans and, and time of the year and all of these things. So a really important conversation that we're going to have today. And, and for you, those of you listening who are wondering what she means exactly by fitness and fresh freshness, there's a, there's a score in the training peaks app or in the, in the guideline and fitness in layman's terms is a gauge of how much work you've done over a certain period of time. And the further away the work is the less it counts. And freshness is a gauge of compared to your former work and the amount of work you're used to how in theory uh, recovered you'd be and ready to go for the next workout. And so, and then those crisscrossing, you can see on a graph, but if you don't have training peaks and you're wondering what it looks like when she says fitness, she quite literally means how currently fit are you? And when she says freshness, she very simply means, um, how much stress have you had recently and how are you feeling? Is that pretty accurate? Totally. And the thing about it that where it gets really confusing is you can freshness yourself right out of shape, right? I mean, how many, so that's where people get a little bit confused in a taper is, yeah, I feel amazing. I feel super fresh, but how much fitness has that fitness gone down so low? You're no longer at your fittest for you going into your event. And so these are some things that as coaches, we all have a lot of experience at, and there's a, there's a quite a bit of art to that and figuring it out for each athlete and what's going to show them up on the start line, ready to go. It's not as simple as just, you know, follow this recipe and it's going to work every time. Yeah. You kind of implied that a lot of athletes can make the mistake of resting too much there. And one of the things I like to think about is when athletes have like a really good, let's say weekend workout, you know, a great Saturday ride, they knock it out of the park and do a runoff and it goes really well. And then you look at what they did that week and maybe they did a big Tuesday, Wednesday or something. You're like, well, so you kind of took, let's say Thursday, Friday, a little bit easier. And then you had a great weekend. So that Thursday, Friday was enough for you to freshen up a little bit and, and then have a great weekend. So, so now when they talk about tapering and they're like, Hey, I want to start tapering a month out. And you're like, well, you, you just came around in like two days. So why do you want to do this four week taper for a race? And so, yeah, I think that's a really good point to, to say is that like, we want to make sure that you are fit. And sometimes that might not be quite as much like tapering as an athlete might think they need, or like um, they might see like in a cookie cutter plan. Yeah. It's really important to know your athlete, right? Because some athletes hold on to fitness for a long time and they actually need to feel pretty snappy and fresh. And in particular, if, uh, the shorter and faster an athlete needs to race that, that fit, that freshness, you know, needs to be there much more than let's say a really long race, like a half Ironman or an Ironman. So I've had athletes where their rest going in, in that, you know, week to 10 days, two weeks before is, is a lot like they need a lot of full days off and they need just a little bit of sharpening and they really need to feel absolutely fresh 
in order to feel athletic and snappy and get the most out of themselves. And if you kept it rolling just a little bit too much, they would, you know, they would just be even mentally too tired to actually perform. And then on the reverse side, I've seen if you graphed it and you pulled it up on, you know, what would be, you know, following classic data stuff. I've had athletes where if you looked at, it, you'd say, this person is absolutely wrecked. They're way too tired to perform. There's no way they're going to actually race well. And, and, but they race well like that. Like if you rested them more than that, they would fall flat and they would lose, they'd lose fitness so fast that there's no way that they could actually perform. So it's really, really important to know your athlete, know how long an athlete actually holds onto their fitness and how they come around to be able to perform their best. Because again, the goal is to show up ready to go. Right. So, and, and knowing that about your athlete and tracking how quickly you gain fitness, lose fitness. Um, those are really key things to know about a person's athletic history. Like you mentioned. Do you think that's just a function of the differences of athletes or do you think it's a function of the training they've done leading up to that race? I honestly, my experience has been, it's specific to certain types of athletes. Um, some of it is an athlete's history. Obviously the more miles and years an athlete has in their body, it, it, I mean, it changes, right? I mean, some older athletes need a little bit more rest and if they've got a lot of miles in them, they, they need to freshen up a bit more, but I've also seen it that those are the ones that fall flat pretty quick and you've got to keep it going. So I guess the answer to your question would be, it's real specific to the athlete. Um, you know, my experience has been over and over again, athletes that are, um, they're really, really athletically, naturally coordinated and snappy and fast. Those ones tend to need more rest. And the ones that develop fitness slower and they're, I'm not saying this in a negative way, they're just a little bit, you all know what I'm talking about. Like if you did like the, the vertical jump and coordination exercises and stuff, they're just not it's like you're talking about me. That's <laughs> fine. But it's you know, fine. Go ahead. Get really fit and really strong, but they're maybe not quite as like um, top end athletically, then they need less taper. You know, they need to go in with a lot of work right into their races. And that's just purely been my experience with that. Do, I don't know. Do you think that plays though, into the distance of the race, like a one hour race versus a 10 hour race, right? That, play, that plays a part, but I've seen it also like that with the different length races, that rule with different length races and different athletes, but absolutely the shorter the race, I think the harder and faster you've got to go, the more rested you got to be, right? If it's a anaerobic and if it gets to a point where it's anaerobic, which triathlon never does, it's an aerobic sport, but the shorter, faster racing, you definitely need to be fresher. But when you say that to me, that would mean your final workouts, you want to be fresher heading into them. So in an Ironman, it's okay to have some pretty heavy fatigue two weeks out, but 10 days out your last whatever by 500 or uh, whatever your swim bike run workout is for a sprint distance or Olympic distance race, it's okay to be a little bit fatigued, but you do want to be able to perform that workout relatively well. Whereas like five, six weeks out, it's kind of okay to be tired for both, uh, whether it's a one hour race or a 10 hour race or we, is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. 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 So, so rolling into those sprint, like sprint or Olympic distance triathlons, you want to make sure like you're hitting big power, running pretty fast, kind of checking all those boxes in that, like 10 days out. Whereas for Ironman training, you might just be rolling through still and kind of just chugging along. 
Yeah, because you still want, like as Marilyn said, like you don't want to freshness yourself out, which which means you need fitness. Like if you, if you're gonna run, if you're gonna ride 180k, you can't not ride over three hours for the month before the race, right? You, you like you, at some point, it's like I know you get tired from long rides, but you have to do long rides because if you don't do a long ride for three weeks, you haven't done a long ride for three weeks. How are you supposed to do an Ironman? So. Um, well, that's a, so I've read plenty of literature out there that says like the longer the race, the fresher you need to be. And people use the exact opposite philosophy of what I'm, of what I'm saying. But my experience has been for the longer races, you can go in with a little bit of fatigue, but you need to be really, really fit. And for the shorter races and the faster races, I mean, you need to be firing very coordinated, you know, all those fast twitch muscles need to be ready to go. You need to be able to respond quickly. And that can't happen if you're, if you're too tired. Right. So I don't know if that gives a visual for what it is that you're looking at when you're tapering on the two different events in my mind. Yeah, yeah no, I, totally. I, sorry, like, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think that's true and that's important and having kind of coach people d- doing top the, the top level races, whether it's one hour, eight hours for the person, if you're listening to this and you're trying to do your local sprint or Olympic distance race, you too still need fitness. And I understand it's still an hour or two hours, but like we're kind of splitting hairs and we are serious that you would do more volume closer to, a to an eight hour or 10 hour, 12 hour race, um, two weeks out and three weeks out than you would for an hour race, but it's not as big of a difference as you might think. And so like you might reduce volume by let's say 10 or 20% for the Ironman, but you might reduce volume by 15 to 25% for that sprint or Olympic. And that's not a very big difference. You notice there's some overlap in those percentages. Yeah. And I think the other thing to take into consideration is, you know, if you're going to be a person who's racing for eight, nine hours and digging really, really deep, you want to consider the amount of fatigue mentally going into that. So I've seen some professional athletes where they're just a little bit mentally too tired from their training. And then when they have to dig in a really competitive race for eight hours, they just, they might be really fit, but they're, they're just a little bit too tired to dig for that long versus someone else who is going to go, let's say their goal of their Ironman race is to go at a moderate too hard for them. Let's uh, I'm just throwing numbers out there for somewhere between 10 and 12 hours and, and they're going to be pushing themselves, but they're not responding to an actual, you know, race environment where maybe they're having to go to that next level. That's out, you know, where they're being pushed by their competitors way beyond the well, then, then that's a little bit different. They, the fitness can wants to be really, really high going in and they can carry a little bit of fatigue. I'm not sure if I'm describing that right, but basically if you're going to be racing for eight hours and being absolutely pushed by your competitors, you need some mental freshness to be able to handle that level of competition. So a little bit of difference there, I think between the type might be the same event, two athletes going into an Ironman, one is racing for the win and they're going to be battling all day to tactics and dynamics. And the other one is, yes, it's still very hard and they're pushing themselves as hard as they can, but it's a little bit different because they're not having to respond mentally to their competitors. I think, I think you're totally right. And to expand on that point, um, well, just don't get too happy. It's only right in my opinion, which could be wrong. Um, but, uh, 
the person who's doing the 12 hour race probably still has some fitness to be gained, just like even one or two more weeks of extra training. I mean, it's just, the, you know, whoever, whoever that person is, um, can you always probably use a little more fitness than that person who's training all the time, you know, like that mental freshness heading into the race becomes a little more important, especially if they've, if they've been at it for 10 years. Right. So it's very rare. You find that Ironman athlete who's battling for the win, who's three years into their career or two years into their career. Uh, so one thing you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago was like that local sprint race and like how, how you might need to like taper for that, or kind of, uh, you know, what that might look like. And I think one thing that brings to mind is that how important that race is, is going to change a little bit how you taper for it, right? If you're just jumping into your local sprint, you probably don't need that three week deload to, to make sure you're really snappy for that. If that's not an important race for you. So I think thinking about how the races fit into your season plan as well is an important thing to, to figure out like how you structure that taper. Cause it's not going to look the same. Yeah. I, I mean, and so, um, swimmers like from a swimming background, often talk about doing a drop taper and, and Jesse, you'd know more about this than us, but like, if you're, if you're racing quite frequently, every two weeks, every week, you, a drop taper sometimes just means the day before is easy, right? Or maybe it means two days before or three days before, but it's often not anything more than that. It means you're training full bore. You're going really hard and you take one, two, three days easy. Um, and you probably drop all your intensity and you probably drop most of all your volume. Um, for whatever that period of time is. And I think that approach to the local race, which essentially is just a really hyped up, really hard training day, uh, is a good way to, to go about that for, for getting in a really hard effort, being competitive and, and then also not really losing much overall training volume. Cause at the end of the day, like the consistent training volume day to day, week to week and month to month, and ultimately year to year is what helps your fitness and, and your speed. I've actually seen pretty big programs of professional athletes that use the drop taper into all their races, like their Ironmans and everything. So as part of a, a squad for a period of time where the, the coach's philosophy for the most part for all races was exactly that. I remember, you know, the week before the race was just normal training. We all had a schedule that was very repeatable and you did exactly what you did every single week. And then that Monday was still a pretty big swim. And, you know, if let's say for an Ironman athlete two three hour ride and a 20 minute jog Tuesday was pretty normal, you know, it was a, a again, about a somewhere between a three or four hour day with quite a bit of intensity. The Wednesday was a, a long aerobic day. And then, you know, it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday was travel and rest and boom, go race. So, and that was, that was pretty stock standard across the board for Ironman, half Ironman, and almost every athlete that was part of that group. And saying that every athlete that was in there that was racing at a high level and their training volume was very high and their um, ability to handle intensity within that training volume was very high. So that's uh, important to remember as well. Yeah. We don't need any names, names but I, I have those PDFs as well from people who used to be in that program. And, and then I also have ones, um, from similar programs with similar results. And like, I think most people listening to this would be shocked to hear like, oh yeah, three to six days, a little bit lower, even for what, for what you, the spectator might consider like one of the biggest deals of their year might be all that's happening. 
Um, but you also have to remember the constant training load these athletes are under a six day deload is very significant um, because their 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 baseline training volume, um, what they might consider somewhat low, the average person looking at that would consider that very high. You know, like I mean, like I live with someone like that, and if I did one two days of what they consider normal, I'm on the couch for four days. So. One thing that I'll share that you might find interesting, just as we're talking about sort of different circumstances is I've seen athletes and I actually was this type of athlete myself is that, um, the day before the event needed a pretty long aerobic kind of day. And so for example, even the, the last, even as I raced as an amateur athlete here after my professional career, the last half Ironman I did it, people were looking at me weird because the day before the race, I went out for a two and a half hour ride. And, but the day before that I was off and the day before that was quite easy. So like the Monday, Tuesday was pretty normal. The Wednesday was pretty easy. The Thursday was off. And then the Friday I did like a two and a half hour easy ride and then race Saturday. And it allowed me to not tighten up and be able to race really well. And when I tried more traditional approaches where the rest was aggressive and the intensity came up as I got closer to the race, what would happen is, uh, my muscles would tighten up so much that I would actually cramp quite, quite severely the first little bit on the bike. And so that long aerobic day, the day before the event alleviated any cramping issues that I would have in, in races. So for anyone who's struggling with, they have, they've tried every different taper type scenario and, and are still struggling with like, Hey, every single time I go to race and I feel really fresh, I cramp really badly for the first couple hours of the race. That is something to consider. And, and it wouldn't be something you can read anywhere within a classic taper, but it, I've used it on myself and I've used it on several athletes that struggle with that. And it works. Do you think that helped you mentally as well? Trying to get, get a little bit of that race nerves out before the day? No, not at all. Because everybody is telling you to not do that. They're like, why are you out there? You know, why are you out there for two and a half hours? Like, what are you doing? And so you, it's very easy to let that get into your head or think, think things like I'm going to be too tired because I just rode two and a half hours. But if you're, you know, again, if you're very fit and, and the other part of that is it is rested the 48 hours before that. And the key was that that day before was actually very aerobic. It wasn't, you know, that I did an hour ride with a bunch of intensity, which like I say, would just absolutely, it was like setting a grenade off that would domino into something terrible. The next day It was more like, I'm just going to go roll around for two and a half hours until I feel really loose and feel really good. And I'll be ready to go. And in actual, I've shared stories with some of the old legends that they did that just by accident a few times into some of their big races and it, and had quite a bit of success with it as well. I, I was going to say, um, I've used that with a few folks, but actually for a couple of people, it, it does help them, Jesse. I mean, obviously not with Maryland, but with other people I've coached, it like helps them sleep a little bit better because maybe we took a quite a big drop from like day three to eight before the race. And then they kind of, slowly ramp up to the race, if you will. And they get moving and they get moving and they're like, okay, well, I was super fresh and they're not doing anything hard and they're not doing anything long per se, 
but they're doing things longer than the other person, you know, the average person's 30 minute shakeout spin, right. Where they like spend half of it in the parking lot going zero miles an hour, um, which is, which is obviously different and both have their merits. But I think, you know, like, like Marilyn was saying, and, and some people, it's just like a good reason, a way to set them up to make sure they're eating enough on the day, making sure they're, they're, you know, basically making sure their morning poop goes pretty well. Um, cause that's just part of their rhythm. So that would be another reason to include that. And, and I think we started this off saying everyone's going to be a little bit different and that's basically two ways to execute the same idea, but just moving where those easier days are. Yeah. There's also, I've seen it successful too. Just another example with diabetic athletes, right? Because the worst thing you can do to a diabetic athlete is have them have a full day off. It really, really messes it with their blood sugar levels. So if you have anyone who's struggling with any, anything like that, giving them something a little and intensity also really messes with their sugar. So if you have someone who has any of that tendency or issues with that, with racing, giving them, um, somewhat within a week or 10 day of a reverse type taper and leading them into the race, it can, can really help them set them up for a successful race. So these are different scenarios that you're not necessarily going to find a lot of literature out there, but hopefully we can share, you know, our experience and insight. The other part is, so we've talked about the drop taper and what falls in line with some of the conversation we're having right now is the, the people you'll hear people refer to it as the reverse taper. And that's a little longer than the example that we're giving within 10 days in a week, but it's more in that, you know, classic taper is like that you start to reduce volume. Let's say for some, it might be three weeks, some, it might be 10 days, some, it might be six days, reduces the volume, increase a little intensity, go classic taper. We talked about that a bit. Drop taper is you know, that 48 hour, 72 hour window reverse taper is a little bit more where you're resting the athlete, let's say that two weeks out or three weeks out pretty aggressively. And then you build them into the race. And, and that, you know, I've seen that work really well on different types of athletes. I don't know uh, if you guys have some insights on that one. I mean, some, uh, sometimes getting ready for a grand tour. I mean, I know nobody listening to this is probably going to do a grand tour anytime soon. But I, I have seen people um, reference that where they, they make sure they're rested and then they start building back in the easy Ks and they're actually riding quite a bit in the, in the days up to the race. But yeah, Jesse, have you experimented with that? Um, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of experimenting on myself uh, and <laughs> I try not to experiment on my athletes too much. I mean, maybe it'll be something new for them, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I've, I think that one thing that actually plays a pretty big role into this, which is, is the race setup as far as logistics. Sometimes, sometimes you, you know, you'll be able to do that. And sometimes you, you know, you like, won't be able to do that as far as like setting up a reverse take taper or setting up a classic taper, like depending on what that day before looks like. I mean, now I feel like the logistics with like Ironman and, the meetings and the bag drop and all that stuff can actually make it like logistically somewhat challenging to, to have a, a great kind of like reverse taper or even get in like, I don't know, even bigger days, two days before. So I think the logistics can play a role in exactly how you can structure that week. Um, and I think it's definitely something to consider, you know, even concerning to consider that two weeks out, like what that last few days has to look like based on the circumstances because I have had actually really good luck where you can get in some aerobic volume in the days leading into the race. 
But if you show up and you like don't have enough time to do that, or you have to check your bike in at 9am the day before. So getting in that two hour ride is a little more challenging, kind of like figuring out a way to structure it so that you can still do that. Like one of the things I've done as of recently is done like a longer, easy swim the day before. Cause you always have your wetsuit, right? So maybe I've got to check my bike in early, but I can go swim like two to three K super easy in open water. And that can do that same thing that Marilyn's talking about where it kind of loosens me up. I get a little bit hungry. I kind of feel athletic because I've like done something it gives me a little confidence going into that next day. And I've used that with, with athletes too. So it's not just like, like you said, that classic, like, Oh, we're gonna do 15 minutes of training the day before to make sure everything works. It's like, well, let's, let's do something kind of real. Let's get a session in and kind of like, like you'd roll into, I don't know, a training session with like just a little bit, a little bit of fatigue there. So you kind of have that normal feeling, but like not so much that it's impacting your fitness at all. A little yeah. bit of training stimulus, but not really fatigue. That's yeah. what you're, that's what yeah. you're going for. The, yeah. the, like that day that gives you a touch of stimulus, but you're basically fully recovered. Glycogen reserves are fully topped up afterwards and you never really put a dent in them in the first place. Yeah. That's better, better verbiage there. Sure. Yeah. But just so people know, like, cause like hanging out with bike racers, I knew a lot of bike racers who would do openers, which essentially they just were doing all out sprints the day before the race. And I just never got it. And I, I mean, like maybe I just didn't race bikes enough, but I'd be like, why are you guys sprinting before the race? Because then the race starts and like attacks start flying. And those guys were always like, Oh yeah. I'm kind of tired from yesterday's openers. And it was like, like, what are you doing them for? Like, you gotta be ready to go. Like save those matches for the race is kind of how I thought it, or, you know, I understand doing some version of acceleration or cadence drills. Um, but if you're, if you're really hitting like max Watts the day before the race, I'm either you're a real full-time professional, or I think you've maybe done it a bit wrong. Um, cause there's a difference between like being biomechanically efficient, whether it's swimming, biking or running and doing true max Watts. And sometimes yeah, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I think the important thing to clarify there, Elliot, is the difference between openers and max efforts, right? If you're hitting max efforts, obviously that's not good the day before, but true openers really do work actually. Like if you rest, yeah. The second day before the race. And then the day before you do, like you say, like turnovers, strides, a um, few pickups, a couple like accelerations up to just below or just right around race intensity. That's like 45 seconds, a minute long. Those actually really do open up the engine and help people help people get going. So like um, especially in a, in a sport like bike racing in particular and short course racing, I feel like, but uh that can't be max effort. You're totally right there. I mean, max effort would be like, save that for race day. Yeah. And I think that's where I think a lot of times, if someone's not super experienced, I'm inclined to not give them that not because openers, uh, aren't a good thing. They are. It's just that, I mean, go to, uh, Alihi drive the day or two days before I'm in Hawaii. And you see a bunch of people whose max mile time is six minutes running a five minute mile. And it's like, yeah, you just trained for half a year. You're as fit as can be. You finally rested and you're like, oh, I'm just doing some openers. And I was like, no, you're not. You're doing some get tireds and, <laughs> and like, you just see it and you're like, okay, well, that person's going to be walking at mile three. Oh, that person's going to be like, you know, walking their bike at mile 103. Um, and like, so what are you doing? Like, and I think that's a big thing, like strides, turnover um, a bit of cadence, you know, like a, a very controlled acceleration on the bike. If you're doing a bike race or a draft legal race, 
Those are all good things to do the day before the race, but there is a very, very fine line where those become too fatiguing. And I think that's the thing where it's like when you're actually the day before or even two days before you're like, is this a warm up to a workout? That's good. If this is actually even a part of the workout, that's probably too much. Um, and I think that would be a good way to like, keep in mind, like, is this kind of the beginnings, like the, the thing that gets the juices flowing, you know, you do your preset before your main set in the water presets are good the day before, but the main sets not, you guys are laughing at me. So I think you have something to say. Uh, no, you're good. Uh, I, I would just like, you want to main, or you want, sorry, blah, you want to keep in mind the goal, the taper, right. Is that you're yeah. going to show up fit and ready those juices flowing on race day. So <laughs> wait, did that, I say that? <laughs> yes. So that's, um, that's what you want to make sure you're doing, right? You, you don't want to go overboard and, and crush anything. You want to I just apologize. Make, sure, <laughs> make sure you're feeling good on race day. So like just always kind of holding true. What is the goal of the taper? What is the goal of this workout? And it's to race well, right? It's not to have your max Watts or your fastest mile the day before the race. Yeah. I think the other things to take into consideration where mistakes can be made are, you know, changing your diet too aggressively, taking consideration, your travel, if you're traveling internationally or changing timelines, time zones, those kinds of things. And then to be very cautious about, because you have now all this extra time on your hands and you're a little bit excited and antsy about your race that you don't ramp up the other areas of your life, like your social life or your work life or your home life, like make sure that all of that stuff stays in line with actually being rested and ready to go. You've worked really hard for a long period of time to be ready to go to this, you know, be ashamed to mess it up by taking on like two new work projects in the week that you're like, Oh yeah, I've got time this week. Cause I'm not training as much, you know, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I had an amazing experience messing up a race by chopping down a tree the weekend before and, and, uh, and splitting it into a bunch of, like, you know, all these piles of lumber. It's like, well, I had time on the weekend. It's not a big deal, but it turns out like when I don't do yard work and then I just do six hours of it, I'm like crippled for a week and you know, just long enough to show up to the race. Totally. Uh, so yeah, no, that's a very good point. <laughs> right. And also with the changing time zones thing, I know this is something Elliot is very big on, but basically like if you have to do a bunch of travel, you have to taper into the travel, right? Because even though you're just sitting on a plane, travel is not restful. So really making sure you're like, okay, maybe that's going to throw your, your training stress scores off a little bit more than usual because you are traveling and like, you need to account for that because as we know, like life stress doesn't go into it you know, your training peaks. So making sure you're accounting for that so that you can actually show up again, maintaining that goal, the table rested and ready to go, not just with your lines in the right spot and, and travel can throw a big wrench in that. Like, especially now that I'm old, if I've got to like show up someplace late after flying, like it's a, it's a really big deal. Whereas when I was younger, I, I remember going for a run at like midnight in Louisville. Cause I was like, well, I've got to go for my run and I haven't done it yet. And, um, and I was fine. Cause I was, 20 something. And now I'm like, well, I, I just need to sleep. I, I need like nine hours and scratch the workouts. Is like, let's see.
papers. I've got a couple articles, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And, and again, like at any time. And for those 